With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're with Hervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Great previous hour chat with Kenny Palorintano, who will be speaking at thegreaterreset.org in a couple of weeks. I will be there as well in Morelia, Mexico. Come on down. As far as I understand it, it will be the last, uh, the, the fifth now, the last Greater Reset conference. So... Hey, another another reason to come on down. We got Keith Preston coming up of AttackTheSystem.com. I really enjoy his um, dissident uh, analysis via his Twitter X feed and uh, newsletter. Uh, So that's going to be fantastic. Uh, What do we got going on in the world? So I I, uh, someone shared with me this news story, and it's one of those stories where I kind of hold off on. It says King Charles III calls emergency meeting with William Kate amid abdication rumors. Uh, I, I did see some mainstream media reports uh, out from like The Guardian. Uh, and I think they were talking about Australia uh, and, and other places saying that they don't want to recognize kind of like King Charles as the, the, the head of the Australian state or whatnot. So. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here, but let's just uh, say that's developing. And, and you know, I don't have a really good source on that. So, And I, I do have to bring this up again. I still pe- see people sharing the peoplesvoice.tv. It's an absolute garbage website, uh, one of those b- clickbait. Uh, it's got a popular Rumble, uh, you know, video channel, news channel, Twitter. Uh, and, and it's largely fake news. And people in alt media continue to share their stuff. Stop it. Stop. They don't source anything and they put crazy wacky stories about Klaus Schwab and and, and this and that and it makes us look like fools. Anyways, uh, what else we got going on? Uh, White House says Russia has used North Korea ballistic missiles in Ukraine. U.S. intel officials have determined that Russia has acquired ballistic missiles from North Korea and is seeking close range ballistic missiles from Iran as Moscow struggles to replenish supplies for its war with Ukraine. Uh, White House just keeps drumming up uh, you know, they want to get this party started with Russia, Iran. They want to take on the whole world. You know, Dr. Strangelove um, is in charge, basically, in Washington. So absolute insanity there. Also, there's a clip tweeted from the Prime Minister of Israel's ex-account, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. He met with Lindsey Graham. Remember Lindsey? Uh, a couple of days ago said, let's bomb Iran. And here you have uh, Lindsay saying, we're absolutely committed to achieving our war goals. We will return our citizens in the north and in the south. For that, we'll apply maximum power with maximum precision everywhere that's needed. Yada, yada, yada. Just more war, more war, more war. Also, ISIS claims credit for the Iran bombing at Soleimani's grave. The cradle points out that Israel has used ISIS and other extremist groups as proxies to destabilize their adversaries in the region. So again, it kind of does make sense, you know, and, and, and there's another report today as well. It says the U.S. claims responsibility for killing Iraqi resistance leader in a drone strike in Baghdad. So the U.S. is taking out, um, launching a, a drone strike in, in Iraq. It kind of would make sense that U.S.-Israel launched as well the, the drone strike in Iran, uh, and we know that ISIS is 
it's it's a Western Empire proxy, Al Qaeda, ISIS. I mean, I used to teach about this stuff at, at university. Now I would have just a long list of mainstream sources to you know many foreign leaders revealing this. You know, Putin between the lines at one UN speech said that Afghan prime minister said that the U.S. Uh, airlifts Daesh ISIS troops in Afghanistan uh, Iraqi generals talking like many others we all know and so if it was ISIS um who claims credit for the Iran bombing then I would agree that it was both um U.S. and and Israel really behind that uh, also reports that one million displaced people Palestinians have arrived in Rafah uh the southern tip of uh the Gaza Strip near the border with Egypt so a Palestinian official in Gaza said that the number of displaced people who arrived in Rafah in the southernmost part of the Gaza Strip is about 1 million since October 7th uh actually it says the total number of people present in the Rafah at the moment is not less than 1.3 million that is pretty crazy also China um says China is committed to its friendly relations with Iraq and actively participates in the reconstruction of the country. China and Iraq share friendly relations. As a sincere friend, China actively participates in Iraq and the reconstruction of the country. Of course, I think they are making um, deals when it comes to the oil uh, as well and the Belt and Road and rebuilding. And so as the West slowly moves out, the East moves in. Uh, and it says right here, Ukraine continues random strikes on Russian city. Belgorod has been targeted by Ukrainian artillery, artillery for the seventh day in a row. Ukrainian rocket artillery has launched another indiscriminate attack on Belgorod. Residents were warned to shelter in place. So the war marches on. And I forgot to share that this was an interesting story when it came to tech news. Microsoft is adding a new key to PC keyboards for the first time since 1994. Uh, it says that Microsoft pushed throughout 2023 to add generative AI capabilities to its software, extending its new Copilot AI assistant to Windows 10. Now those efforts to transform PCs at a software level is extending to hardware. Microsoft is adding a dedicated co AI Copilot key key to the PC keyboards, adjusting the standard Windows keyboard layout for the first time since the Windows key first appeared on its natural keyboard in 1994. Very interesting. All right, a uh, reminder to give TNT a follow. We're on all the major social platforms. Uh, follow us over at Facebook, Meta, Twitter, X, Instagram, Gab, Getter, YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, anywhere you can find us. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on TNT. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A Canadian judge has ruled that junkies have a constitutional right to use drugs wherever they feel like and thusly cannot be prevented from shooting up in playgrounds and in other children's areas. Here with the story, joining me once again, TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Sabori. Uh, yeah. So in British Columbia, 
drug addicts can satiate their habit anywhere they want to because preventing them from doing so would be a violation of their constitutional rights to, quote, life, liberty, and security of the person, end quote. Uh, according to reporting from the National Post, B.C. Supreme Court Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson ruled that it would cause irreparable harm to prevent drug addicts from using public places, even children's playgrounds, to ingest their narcotics. The judge was ruling in favor of a quote-unquote harm reduction group that was seeking to stop the B.C. government from limiting it in any way limiting in any way the widespread use of drugs for personal use in public places. The provincial government passed the quote-unquote playground amendment on September 18th, 2023, after decriminalizing, decriminalizing the personal use of fentanyl, heroin, cocaine, meth, and MDMA. After receiving an exemption from the federal government, BC passed a law to allow anyone in the province to legally possess 2.5 grams of these potentially lethal substances. The playground amendment was a reluctant, reluctant effort by BC's woke New Democratic Party government to compromise with recovery groups and parents who did not want their children subjected subjected to addicts shooting up or the health hazards of drug-related paraphernalia littering parks and playgrounds. Hinkson acknowledged that public drug use might create potential danger, inconvenience, quote-unquote social harms, and even, quote, unpredictable behavior, end quote, from addicts strung out on drugs. Smart. Uh, Hinkson wrote, uh, wrote, Quote, I accept that the attendant public safety risks are particularly concerning given that many of the restricted areas and places in the act are frequented by seniors, people with disabilities, and families with young children, end quote. But alas, apparently the safety of the addicts comes first. He writes, quote, I am satisfied that the suspension of the act can be properly characterized as a substantial public benefit, end quote. Although this is a temporary injunction in effect until March 31st, Hinkson had made it much more than that by tethering his judgment to Section 7 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. As the National Post notes, Hinkson went so far as to say that any effort to stop drug use in public spaces violated, quote, the right to life, liberty, and security of the person, end quote. Um, I think I'm just going to stop right there, Hervori, because that's pretty wild to me. What do you think about this? Well, it, it sort of, you know, it confirms what Terry Wolf um, talked uh, talked about on Tuesday uh, about how Canada is just going down the toilet. And and I, I have this quote actually ready. I, I cut a clip of that where Terry said, up, up here in Canada, we have interesting trends that are getting worse. People are fleeing the country. And then the immigrants who are coming in, it's not like they're happy being here. They find out once they get here, it's not as good as they're told. Um, the housing market is terrible. Healthcare is in disarray. Canada has their MAID system, assisted dying program. They're measuring people being killed in terms of positive results. They're proud of the growth of people having medically assisted dying. It's a very dark country to live in right now. And then add to that what you're talking about. And, you know, I had on guest Herbie Kay of the 1964 plan that ORG um not long ago and he had some interesting analysis and you know on one point i would agree that decriminalization 
uh, is a good thing, but this is like next level stuff here, what you're talking about. I mean, you're putting the safety of children in danger. Uh, they could step on, I don't know what, needles or, or be introduced to drugs or people taking the drugs can um, become violent and, and do crazy stuff. And, and just to add to that one observ observation that I've had lately that's been growing on my mind is, and I've talked with guests about this, how, you know, we, we talk about the Great Reset, Dystopia, Brave New World 1984. And, and if you look at Aldo Huxley's vision, uh, Brave New World, the idea was to get everyone on drugs, legal drugs, illegal drugs, Soma, especially psychedelics. And lately, I've been seeing countries like Canada, the US, and even here in Mexico, pushing hard psychedelics. I keep seeing on Mexico, what is it, Mexico News Daily, the English-speaking Mexican paper, they keep pushing hard, literally articles, multiple articles on psychedelics and shrooms and how it's good for you. And, and I guess they're trying to normalize it. And then I think they're actually trying to implement, you know, Huxley's Brave New World vision where you get everyone on, on, on drugs and, you know, alcohol and drugs, legal and illegal, out of their minds, promiscuous, not having families so that, you know, the dystopia can better manage us. And I just, I guess this is just a further symptom of that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is cool. O open drug use. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Ruckus? They, they jump through like this giant hoop to to justify why doing so is safer for everybody. The whole public is they're really talking about the user, the idea. Apparently, this is part of the argument of the Harm Reduction Nurses Association who led the legal objection to the playground amendment. Uh, the, the idea is that telling people they can't use drugs in public would inevitably result in lone drug use, and that would equal even more addicts dying from overdoses. So they're like, okay, well, you, you'll you'll die of an overdose less likely if you're you're overdosing together with friends. I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me, actually. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I think you know Terry Wolf uh, is pretty much right on the money here. Unfortunately. It sucks, man, to see all these once great countries just falling apart like this, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like was mentioned, you could decriminalize, but still not allow this stuff, you know, out in, in, in public. It's more something more discreet. And anyways, you know, historically, people who did stuff like this, you do it discreetly, privately in your own home and elsewhere. And now to normalize such behavior, um, you know, there are people a handful of people that I knew, uh, you know, a few years back, I knew one guy in the U.S. who was, you know, maybe in his 30s who passed from, you know, it was a cocaine user or heroin, and he's dead now. I just kind of, it's kind of strange for me. I don't know that many people, you know, my around uh, my age that are dead, and is, let alone from drug uses. I mean, it's extremely sad. You want to see people living uh, into their old age and dying of natural causes and so you know any final thought on drugs um ruckus um drugs are bad okay but no seriously yeah i have i have heard of plenty unfortunate instances in my own in real life friends my age who have like kids teenagers who who died overdosing on a vest pretty much any one of those on the list you can pick them and it happened to people's children that i know so it's terrible you, you actually just reminded me one of the ministries in our church, I haven't participated yet, but I've been thinking of they go once a week to 
uh, I forget the name, you know, one of these centers for people who have um, addictions or they go to one where it's adults that are thrown into these uh, centers uh, because for, because for, um, they're alcoholics or drug users. But there's another one where it's teenagers. So like 10 to 20 year olds who are already addicted to drugs. And for, for me, that's like, I can't believe something like that even exists. And so um, crazy times we live in ruckus. All right, talk to you tomorrow. We've got Keith Preston of attackthesystem.com joining us to talk geopolitics and more. Feel free to call in. We'll be right back. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there. And Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. I bet you more than 50 percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in, in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. since since well, under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down. Thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world. These people are, have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them, uh, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism. And, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two one attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Returning to the Rebel Transmission, Keith Preston, Editor-in-Chief of Attack thesystem.com bookmark the website subscribe to the email list find him on twitter x as well at t keith preston and the number one i see you change your username it's good to have you back happy new year how are things i'm good it's uh it's we can see each other now and uh, so much is popping off Keith, uh, all heck seems to be breaking loose. And uh, I've noticed on your feed lately, I listened to your chat uh, with Jose Nino on his podcast, which was great. Uh, but it, it seems that uh, you, uh, for now, tend to be focusing more on the Middle East and, and Israel-Palestine, no? Uh, yeah, definitely, because that's really the main thing that's going on in the world right now. I mean, we have a uh, what I would consider to be an active genocide in progress. Um, so it's definitely important to bring attention to that and raise awareness of that, particularly in the United States, uh, where you get such a skewed uh, viewpoint from the mainstream media. On one hand, you have the, uh, you know, you have the neocon controlled media, uh, Fox and outlets like that, that are essentially um, propaganda arms of the Netanyahu regime. And then you have uh, the wider uh, U.S. media, U.S. government that is also very um much in collusion with the Israel lobby and, and pro-Israel interests within the United States. Um, so, you know, it's only been in recent years 
that we've started to hear uh, anything at all about the Palestinian perspective at all. In fact, I think that's one reason why there has been more of a reaction against what is happening than what we used to see. I mean, we've seen unprecedented uh, protests against the massacres going on in Gaza throughout the world, even in the West, even in the United States. I think the big thing there is that um, with modern communications technology uh, being what it is, it's somewhat harder to suppress that, uh, you know, compared to uh, the times past. I mean, nowadays we see uh, what is, like I said, an act of genocide going on in real time. We see being live streamed on on TikTok and on Twitter, and uh, a lot of people are, are are seeing what's happening there for the first time. Your thoughts, uh, maybe, on this idea of October seventh being, you know. Lee hop or me hop, let it happen on purpose or make it happen on purpose. False flag. I had Ian Davis. Um, I, I posted one of his articles for my website where he, he begged the question was Al-Aqsa flood a false flag. I've had Ron Unz uh, on the program and he, you know, his explanation, he disagreed. And it had logic there as well that uh, Netanyahu is not, he's very weak right now. I think the polls this week reported only 15% of Israelis are supporting supporting him and what are your thoughts as to what really went on well i think we're definitely getting a very skewed perspective on october 7th as well uh through the american media uh and that's in no small part the fault of the israelis because uh we we really can't believe anything that's coming out of israel uh, about what really happened on October 7th. Now, when October 7th first happened, uh, I thought it was uh, something similar to what happened on September 11th. Um, for, the, for the record, I am someone who thinks that Al-Qaeda really was behind September 11th. Uh, you, know, I'm, you know, as to what other parties may be involved or, or whatever, that's a, a separate question. But I do think Al-Qaeda was behind uh, September 11th. And their goal was, in my view, to lure the United States into a series of losing wars in the Middle East, which is exactly what happened for the purpose of weak weakening the United States uh, economically, militarily, and in terms of world opinion. Now, I, I initially thought that what Hamas was trying to do on October 7th was something similar, uh, trying to lure uh, Israel into an urban guerrilla warfare in Gaza. Uh, knowing that Israel uh, would probably perform uh, fairly poorly in the long run because Israel Israel's military is not a good land war military. They're, they have a good air force, uh, but they're they're not uh, they're very similar to the United States. The United States has you know the, the best there is when it comes to drones and and, and air power, but the, the United States, as we've seen in recent years, has not that done that well when it comes to ground war uh, in guerrilla warfare situations. And, and Israel has a very similar. Uh, military. Uh, so I thought that the Hamas uh, forces had tr were trying to lure, um, they were trying to lure Israel into an urban guerrilla warfare in uh, Gaza itself. Now, based on some of the reporting that's been done since then, I'm a little more skeptical of that. I tend to think that uh, Hamas probably had uh, less lofty goals or less um, far-reaching goals. Instead, it appears what happened was that uh, Hamas was trying to uh, take as hostage 
as many Israelis as possible. And that's why we uh, see them having seized, as far as we know, the initial number was something like 250 hostages. Uh, so the, the goal was to seize hostages uh, for the sake of exchanging these for uh, Palestinian prisoners. And, and there are thousands of Palestinians in prison, some of them under uh, administ administrative detention. Some of them are juveniles, uh, you know, teenagers. Some of them are under pre-teenagers. Um, and and there's you know a lot of some of them have been there for years. So there are thousands of these people. Uh, and in the past, Hamas has had success exchanging hostages for prisoners. So I, I, it looks like that was their primary goal, along with one other thing, which was arguably to simply kill as many members of the Israeli defense forces or state security forces as possible, um, which is often, you know, which is after all the goal of war. Um, the, um, it, see, it, it appears that what happened on October 7th is that the Hamas attack uh, was such that uh, you know the, uh, Hamas managed to uh, cross the, the boundaries of Gaza, and they started attacking uh, military targets, uh, security forces, police targets, and that kind of thing. Israel's response was extremely heavy-handed, and it appears that of the people killed uh, on October seventh, a substantial number of them were killed by what is commonly called friendly fire. Uh, that is, uh, Israel responded to Hamas with the use of very high-powered weaponry, and the kind of weaponry that if you're uh, if you're using it in a place where there's civilians around or it's a residential area, you're going to kill a lot of non-combatants. So it appears that that is how uh, the, the initial figure we heard was um, 1,400 uh, Israelis were killed. Uh, then they rolled that back because initially they were claiming that Hamas fighters killed in that conflict were actually um, Israelis, so they had to reduce those numbers a bit. Uh, and it, even with the numbers that remained, it, it seems that many of the Israelis were killed by uh, friendly fire. Um, some were uh, security forces, you know, armed uh, state security personnel uh, killed in combat. Um, also, we have to consider that Israel has a military doctrine called the Hannibal Directive. Now, this was a, a military doctrine that was implemented in 1986, so it goes back a good number of years. It was formally repealed in 1993, but it's widely believed that it's still informally operative. Uh, and what the Hannibal Directive is, it's named after the ancient Carthaginian general Hannibal, who committed suicide rather than be taken prisoner. Um, so it's in Israel's uh, Hannibal Directive says that before they will allow a member of the Israeli armed forces or even an Israeli civilian to be taken hostage, they will shoot that person to kill. Like, it, let's say you've got, you know, terrorists or whomever, Hamas or whomever running off with some hostages. Well, you kill, you shoot and kill the hostages uh, rather than having to, rather rather than allowing the, the opposing side to have mm -hmm. hostages that they can use as a negotiating tool. Uh, so yeah, it's I quite possible that at least some members of the uh, Israeli uh, civilian casualties that, uh, list, that at least some of them were killed by the Hannibal Directive. Also, there is some appears to have been some wild exaggerations concerning mm -hmm. atrocities committed by Hamas. If you could just hold that thought, Keith, and I, I'd agree with your uh, assessment. Largely, we got to jump to our headlines. We'll be right back. The news right here. TNT Radio TNT, News. This is James O'Neill. 
The use and deployment of U.S.-made Abrams M1 main battle tanks provided by Washington to Ukraine amid its conflict with Russia remains unclear. U.S. President Joe Biden's administration has rejected genocide allegations against Israel made by multiple nations, including a NATO ally. Russia and Ukraine on Wednesday exchanged hundreds of prisoners of war under a deal sponsored by the United Arab Emirates. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. We are talking to Keith Preston of AttackTheSystem.com. Check out the website and his Twitter X feed is uh, very uh, resourceful. So follow him there uh, as well. And uh, talking about Israel and Palestine. And I, I think, w- would you agree that we've been sold sort of this myth of IDF, Israeli Iron Dome invincibility? And I think that sort of clouds part of um, our analysis. Yeah, well, keep in mind, you were asking earlier about the the possibility of a false flag, and I'm not yet prepared to say that uh, October 7th was a false flag. I mean, there really was a Hamas attack, and I I don't know that the um, Israeli government um, was was involved in making that happen. I do think there's a possibility that there was uh, pre-existing intelligence um, that, that that the Netanyahu regime may have had access to intelligence indicating that a Hamas attack was on the way and they either simply ignored it uh, just due to incompetence or it could be that they suspected something that was going to happen and, and decided to allow it to happen in order to justify a water uh, war against Gaza. Um, we, well, I, we can't yet prove that. That hasn't, to my knowledge, that hasn't been demonstrated, but it is a possibility. In fact, even to the point that uh, Egypt, I believe the president of Egypt, had called Netanyahu and, and said that we have intelligence that something is about to happen as well. Uh, so it, the, clearly the warning signs were there. And clearly Israel is not the, the invincible power that uh, it's often tried to claim to be. Um, Israel has, you know, certainly a, a first world economy. Uh, it has a, a first world military, largely because of American subsidies and, and arms. Um, but it, it's still not an invincible force. Well, when we've seen the United States as an invincible either, based on, uh, you know, the U.S. performance in Iraq and Afghanistan and some other places. Uh, and now we see Israel is, is not invincible. Um, yeah, I, one thing, though, that I think is important is that we've heard a lot of stories about atrocities committed by uh, Hamas on October 7th. And in fact, there was a major New York Times report that came out recently uh, trying to detail some of these atrocities. Now, doubt has been raised about some of these uh, atrocities. In fact, uh, Max Blumenthal, who's a, a journalist for an outlet called The Gray Zone, has been he, he's a Jewish American who's also lived in Israel and he's uh, been covering the Israel-Palestine uh, conflict for years, um, argues that it appears that many of these uh, atrocity stories about October 7th involving things like rapes and, and, and mutilation of bodies and things like that uh, are based on either dubious sources or unverified sources or maybe fabricated altogether. 
so um, and of course, we, we know that whenever things like this happen, there there are always fabricated atrocity stories. And that's not to say, obviously, that atrocities do not happen. I mean, clearly, atrocities happen when there's violent conflict between uh, rival uh, enemy groups. Uh, but you know, to think back, for example, to the uh, first Gulf War of 1991, when uh, the Iraqis under Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, uh, there was a young woman who testified in front of the U.S. Congress talking about how the Iraqis had come in and slaughtered babies in incubators and Kuwaiti hospitals. And it turned out it was a completely fabricated story. The young woman was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador. Uh, she uh, later bragged years later about what a fantastic uh, actressing job she did when she um, gave that testimony to Congress. Uh, and, it, and it appears that some of the atrocity stories that we have heard involving October 7th were clearly fabricated. At one point, they were trying to claim that 40 babies had been uh, um, beheaded. I think that was the most exaggerated atrocity stories. We've also heard about people tearing off body parts and, and rapes and things of that nature. In fact, there's there are even some uh, Israeli women who were have been claimed to have been rape victims, but then in interviews they say no, that didn't. I, I wasn't raped. Uh, so uh, it, it's uh, it, it's clear we're clear we're not getting accurate information, and it's also clear that the American media and the American government are not particularly concerned about providing information, accurate information about these stories. For instance, Joe Biden has repeated the forty beheaded baby story. Uh, Anthony Blinken went in front of Congress and started talking about this stuff. So. We, we can't believe anything that we're hearing. Uh, we have seen some more reliable reporting in alternative media sources. And, and you know, another fear that I have, given, you know, some of the past few days, weeks, um, statements, we had Lindsey Graham come out recently and say, let's bomb Iran. Uh, we had John Bolton, right, uh, publish an op-ed saying we need to bomb Iran. Uh, uh, you know, on and on it goes. We, we just had this terror attack, you know, during this ceremony, or I think it was January, um, just um, a, a day or two ago, uh, this ceremony in Iran, I think up to 100 people were killed. It seems like it was, uh, you know, ISIS has claimed responsibility, but it seems, you know, we know that ISIS is used as a proxy by Israel and U.S. Um, U.S. just did a, carried out a drone, stri drone strike in Iraq, killing um, uh, a military leader there. Do you, do you have any worries about um, this being used by the Pentagon to carry out uh, a wider war with uh, Iran? Well, Israel has been pushing the United States to go to war with Iran for, for decades. Uh, they pushed Donald Trump to go to war with Iran. They pushed Obama to go to war with Iran. Um, we have to remember that uh, Joe Biden is probably the most pro-Zionist or pro-Israel president the United States has ever had. Now, not coincidentally, uh, he's also received more money from the Israel lobby than any sitting politician in the United States today. Uh, you can get that from the opensecrets.org uh, website. Um, so, you know, the, you know, Biden is and has been on the Israeli payroll for decades. Uh, and as some of these other figures that you mentioned, uh, so were they. I mean, uh, the Lindsey Graham is essentially a representative of the Israel lobby and other interests tied to the Israel lobby. Bolton is, uh, you know, a, a long time, decades long super hawk. And, you know, Trump once joked that uh, if Bolton had his way, we'd be fighting the whole world at once. Um, 
And we do see that a lot of those kinds of people are pushing the United States in, towards war with Iran. Now, a war with Iran would be disastrous. It would make Afghanistan and Iraq look like uh, nothing in, in comparison. Uh, it, it's a, Iran is a much more powerful country. It's a much larger country. It's much better armed. It's much more self-sustainable during warfare. Um, you know, they, 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 it has a, an armed for, has armed forces that are accustomed to fighting. They've been fighting other uh, forces in the region uh, for decades, uh, going all the way back to the Iranian Revolution in 1979 and, and a 10-year war they have with Iraq. Uh, also, we have to remember that Iran has a very elaborate network of allies in the region uh, in the form of Syria. It's called the Axis of Resistance, and that means Syria. Uh, Lebanon, Hezbollah, uh, Iraq is essentially in the, uh, what is in the um, Iranian orbit now, both the government of Iraq, as well as these extra governmental militias that are in Iraq. Uh, you know, of course, the uh, Yemen and, and Yemen, uh, the, the people that are commonly called the Houthis, they, they're now in, in control of 70% of the country and they're in the Iranian orbit as well. Uh, Hamas, you know, even though they're Sunni and the Iranians are Shia, uh, Hamas was largely pushed into the uh, Iranian orbit because the Sunni states in the Gulf had no interest in the Palestinian question. And uh, even now, the, uh, the, the Gulf states are under tremendous pressure uh, from their own populations uh, to take the side of the Palestinians against Israel. Now, the, the, um, the Gulf state leadership is for the most part on the American payroll, and the, the United States pays them to not not attack israel basically um so, so but they're, they're so they're getting a lot of pressure from the bottom however uh to back the palestinians we, we've also seen the turks uh come out in, in, in verbally in support of the palestinians by president erdogan uh so uh, a war uh in the middle east involving iran and israel and where the united states was involved could certainly expand into a very uh, uh wide regional war uh, where the United States and Israel uh, and perhaps Saudi Arabia, although I don't, I don't know that they would be particularly um, val valuable allies in that kind of situation. Essentially, essentially it would be the United States and Israel fighting uh, the entire axis of resistance and, and allied nations as well. Uh, I, I don't know that the NATO countries would be particularly enthusiastic about joining something like that. Um, they, to the degree they did, it would be only under U.S. and maybe U.K. pressure um, Tur if, if there was a wider war in the Middle East, I suspect that would be the end of Turkey's uh, membership in NATO. They may well uh, either just re remove themselves from NATO or, or go over to the other side uh, because there's no way they can retain credibility in the Islamic world uh, if they're side with NATO um, against the Islamic, you know, the, the, the predominantly Islamic countries in the region. Uh, so this, this would be the worst possible thing that the United States could get itself into. Uh, and unfortunately, we have policymakers that do not seem to understand that. Um, I just got a minute or two before our next break, but uh, just to add to that, your thoughts on, you know, we got the whole uh, Red Sea shipping mm -hmm. supply situation. And it's, uh, you know, we got the, 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 the Houthis using cheap, you know, as I, I'm joking here, I'm exaggerating, $5 drones to take down, you know, American mil, mil, uh, million dollar uh, missiles. Uh, and it just shows the absurdity of the you know the American uh, empire and, and military industrial complex. And I'm just reading everyone from Niall Ferguson, the establishment historian, talking about Pax Americana being dead. A couple of days ago, the China Global Times coming out and saying, 
America is just going to keep declining. Um, it, it just it looks like now American American Empire is, is in um, a serious uh, decline. Your thoughts? Oh, without a doubt, uh, the the United States has clearly uh, lost a great deal of credibility. Uh, for example, um, you know, after the withdrawal from Afghanistan, I mean, we were in Afghanistan for twenty years and, and lost. Uh, you know, we were in in Iraq for about the same amount of time and lost. Um, the um, it, a big part, a big not only is there this military uh, decline and economic decline, but just in terms of world opinion, uh, the United States seems to be going out of its way to try to alienate world opinion, uh, and more and more uh, countries around the world are turning away from the United States or turning away from the West entirely. Uh, you know, we see, for example, the rise of the BRICS in the Eastern world. Uh, you know, Russia, China, uh, India, that particular axis. We see the growth of Islam. Uh, we've seen efforts at Sunni Shia rapprochement. Uh, we see the growth of you know India, Indonesia, and other places as important. Uh, the Southeast Asian countries as important economic uh, trade trading partners or economic corridors. So um, the, the United States is very much in in retreat. You know, big picture wise. And the, if the United States were to get involved in another Middle East war, that would probably be the end of the United States as a, as a, as pro possibly as a major world power. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing just again the, the similar signals everywhere. Uh, you know, the, the everything that I read and listen to. I even you know I haven't had time to bookmarked uh, a um, a recent uh, interview from uh, Unheard, uh, which is a publication I enjoy reading from time to time. I try to. Uh, pull it up uh, here. Uh, it says the age of America is coming to an end, uh, and it's an uh, interview with a ex CIA guy talking about as well as you say multipolarity uh, on the rise. So it just seems like this is it. Things are accelerating. It's it's time for our break again. Attack the system dot com and follow Keith Preston Preston over at uh, Twitter X. Uh, leave any comment or question in the chat. Uh, email or even call in. We'll be right back. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The global temperature is largely a mythical value that has been developed over the years. We don't really know what the average global temperature is. Of the 70,000 plus weather stations on the planet now, it's 0.82 Fahrenheit above what it has been over the last 30 years. But that would make sense because during the wintertime, water vapor affects colder, drier air much more than it does warm humid air. In other words, if you look at the correlation between water vapor and temperature, you'll find that very small amounts of water vapor are correlated to big rises in temperatures. So naturally, when it's coldest, if there's more water vapor in the air due to the warming of the oceans, which is largely natural, temperatures are going to go up. There's no such correlation with CO2. But really, there's no physical reality as a global temperature. Even pretending that a global temperature is an imaginary thing, NASA has nothing close to a record of temperatures from around the world stretching back to 1880. Since at best, global temperatures total guesswork, where are the error bars when they put these temperatures out? 96% of the best U.S. temperature stations today are not accurate to within one degree Celsius, but NASA pretends, for example, knows precisely what the global temperature is from 1880. It's absurd. Now, I took instrumentation when I was in college. 95% of the error bias back then on thermometers was they would read warm. You had to constantly keep them upkept. 
The moral of the story is, as we head into the new year, rational people should not be concerned about a climate apocalypse. As a matter of fact, if it is a bit warmer, we're in a climate optimum. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Eggs. You can fry them, scramble them, poach them, boil them, or race them on a spoon. But uncooked eggs can be a risk for food poisoning. To be safe, avoid buying dirty or cracked eggs. Always wash your hands after handling eggs. And if you're concerned, pregnant, elderly, or have a poor immune system, make sure you cook eggs until the yolk starts to firm. Or look for new pasteurized eggs. For excellent eggs, handle them safely. This is the Hervoy Moritz Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Time is flying. It's our final segment with Keith Preston of attackthesystem.com. Hopefully I don't lose my voice uh, this time, but um, we've talked in the past about a multipolarity, Keith. And, you know, it, it, I think there are a few points here. One is that it's definitely happening, right? It's it's no, no doubt, uh, you know, BRICS, um, the Global South, they are integrating. I think Russia and Iran just made a, a deal to uh, drop the dollar in their bilateral trade. And so that for sure is going on. It's accelerating. Um, I was listening to the Duran folks not long ago talking about how the Eurasian Union is looking to integrate with, I think, this, the, the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Um, but you, you, you shared something recently, um, an, an article by Paul Kudanek of Winter Oak, uh, and I recently as well interviewed Paul on my podcast and he wrote an article on alexander dugin and you know th there are some funny things when it comes to multipolarity and BRICS. right BRICS was coined by a uh, wef young global leader uh and you know they went along with a lot of the you know COVID lockdowns and and uh, you know some of the, the the globalist un projects your thoughts on multipolarity moving forward as well as some of these kind of shady things uh coming on that that people like paul kudeneka winter oak uh point out well we have to remember that after the end of the cold war during the early neoliberal era we saw this global system develop which included the nations that are now part of the BRICS. uh they they were always in relatively integrated into that uh, for example, Russia during the Yeltsin era and, and, and things of that nature. Um, and we have to remember that BRICS was originally created by Goldman Sachs. Um, and so it, it can be argued that, uh, you know, BRICS is really nothing more than an, uh, the Eastern wing of the global system and that, that perhaps BRICS is something like controlled opposition or maybe at best rebellious provinces within the, the global system. Uh, now, I do think that the BRICS countries are trying to become more assertive and, and take a more active role within the global system. I, I don't I don't think that, I think they really are in conflict with the United States and with Europe, for example, um, for over a number of things. Um, the, the idea, though, that they are um, a counter globalist, I, I think, is something we have to wait and see uh, whether that happens. I think that. You know, I've always said that the Duganists, for example, the Eurasianists are really just counter-imperialists. They're not anti-globalists. They're not anti-imperialists. 
they're more like counter-globalist or counter-imperialist in the sense that they want a, an imperialism or they want a globalism of their own, um, uh, where they or 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 even a globalism, a globalism where they are the hegemonic force rather than the uh, the United States or Europe. And I and I think the same is true of the Chinese as well. Uh, now, when it comes to some of the Middle Eastern countries, when it comes to the axis of resistance like Iran, I think those are more of, of genuine oppositional nations, if you will, just because of their geopolitical position and you know, the cultural issues involved and, and the, the, their relationship to the global powers. Um, I, I, and, and I think the BRICS are trying to cultivate those perhaps as a counterforce to Western hegemony. Um, but I, I don't. I, I, I'm skeptical, like like the fellow from Winter Oak. I, I'm skeptical as to whether uh, the, the BRICS or the Eurasianism or any of these other uh, forces are really a, a counter globalism uh, or or really anti globalist as much as counter globalist. You know, they in the sense of preferring simply a hegemonic position for themselves within globalism or globalism of their own. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think you just uh, nailed it right there with precision. And I'd, I'd fully agree with you. I, I've been I've had on the program here, William, Professor William I. Robinson, who's, uh, you know, very much a leftist uh, Marxist teaches out there in California. Uh, and even he published recently uh, an article explaining how, uh, you know, look, BRICS is nothing new. It's it's um, that they are. Um, it's not a separate system. It's still part of the global capitalist system within yeah. the same system. We're sort of being sold that it's separate. It's not. It's like you say, it's counter. And that the BRICS leaders, the Russians, Chinese, Brazilians, whatever, are still applying the same exploitative system and process to their own populations as the West is to applying the same exploitative system and process to their own populations as the West is to their own populations, uh, us and and everyone else. And, you know, even the Eurasian Union is a copy of the European Union. And, and it's I've been sort of lately saying how here in Latin America, you've got AMLO of Mexico saying we need to copy the EU and integrate Canada, USA and Mexico. You've got uh, Bukele in El Salvador, who in last July said we need to copy the EU and Central America and unify the seven Central American countries, get rid of the borders between us. And then South Americans are saying the same thing. So I think it's just as you say, it's counter globalism, uh, no real um, huge resistance there. And then going back to the US, you know, any, any thoughts on what's going on uh, back home? We got this Epstein stuff being talked about. I'm just sort of waiting to see uh, it's because it's developing and we don't really know anything yet. And then uh, it seems like, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy and, and uh, Tucker Carlson are talking about how the the uniparty system in Washington seems to be favoring neocon Nikki Haley, the second coming of Hillary Clinton. I just read today. Uh, now uh, we had Colorado and Maine and now Illinois and Massachusetts want to remove Trump from the ballot. And so we've got about uh, four minutes left you know your your thoughts on some of this uh, insanity well the, the epstein case is certainly very interesting uh one thing about that is that you know a huge cross-section of the american elite are implicated in that um and all interestingly as well is the connection between epstein and the mossad um yeah and and, and 
and something that's you know is really ironic. I mean, at the recent in recent days, South Africa has uh, filed uh, genocide charges against Israel uh, in the world court, and Benjamin Netanyahu actually said that he might uh, acquire the services of Alan Dershowitz, one of uh, Jeffrey Epstein's pals, to defend Israel against genocide charges. I mean, when I read that, I, I didn't believe it at first. I thought, well, is this something from the Babylon Bee or the Onion or, you know, I mean, th this can't be real. But yeah, it is. Uh, so that's that shows how absurd all of this is getting. Um, you know, Trump is not the anti-establishmentarian that many of his fans think he is. Uh, he, he is widely hated by the wider powerly elite, and I think that's more of a stylistic difference as much as anything else. You know, he's somebody. You know, he's the equivalent of a CEO that picks his nose at, at uh, shareholder meetings and things of that nature. Uh, I do think that he's disliked by some sectors of the elite for his. Uh, lack of attention to NATO. He is somewhat hostile to NATO, and I do think that that's an issue there for, for some elites. But um, uh, it's clear they don't want him um, to, to run for office again, and they're trying to get rid of him and replace him with Nikki. Um, the funny thing, though, about the ballot issue is that he, he doesn't even need to be on the ballot in places like Colorado and Maine to win the presidency. He, you know, as we know, the American electoral system is such that it, what matters is who wins in the electoral college. And that means Trump needs the red states and, and enough swing states to get the uh, 270 electoral votes. So, it, I mean, Trump could be thrown off the ballot in all the blue states and, and it wouldn't matter because they're not gonna vote for him anyway. So it's really a futile effort. Um, I, I do think that there has been a wider effort uh, towards repression of dis dissenting points of view. Uh, we see the, the legal system uh, using lawfare to go after uh, not only a former president, Donald Trump, but we also see on the Democratic side efforts to uh, obstruct the primary system by simply refusing to hold primaries, refusing to recognize opposition candidates, even within the Democratic Party itself. Uh, you know, even the media, uh, the, you know, the majority of the mainstream media in the United States is Democratic Party affiliated, and they've been imposing total blackouts on opposition candidates on the Democratic side, like uh, uh, Marion Williamson or Shane Yoger. Um, interestingly, we have Bobby Kennedy uh, in the race now, and he's become out as this you know, fanatical pro-Israel ideologue. Uh, I'm, I'm still waiting to see what's up with that. You know, some, seems like something strange is going on there. Um, and and it, yeah, it's clear that the Republican Party establishment wants Nikki Haley. I mean, she's, she sounds like she's running for the board of directors of Raytheon. She doesn't even sound like she's running for president. Uh, so um, it's also going to be interesting to see whether the uh, Democrats try to replace Biden at the last minute with someone else. I think they're trying to avoid the primaries and then get into the nominating process. And then perhaps they may hope they can replace him with um, um, Gavin Newsom or someone like that at the last minute. And maybe they're hoping then that uh, uh, Haley would actually beat uh, Newsom in a general election, you know, if they could somehow get rid of Trump by handspring them with all of these indictments and that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's all, it's all at the same time that American powers decline internationally, our domestic political system is losing legitimacy as well, because, you know, we see that the system is increasingly openly trying to rig the results of elections to get the results they want. Mm -hmm. It's always great getting an update from you, Keith, Keith Preston, attackthesystem.com. Hopefully we talk again soon. Keep up the great work uh, on your websites. Uh, Steve Malsberg is up next. Stay tuned. Be seeing you.